This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, my flex learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington, host of the podcast Transformative Principle and author of the book School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit centerforcyberethics.org. The Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyberethics, an independent, non Profit 501c3 nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricular development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. And Jethro, I suspect we should rewrite that paragraph and yeah. make it a little bit more coherent than that. Yeah. But greetings. Greetings. And maybe a little shorter also. Oh no, shorter? Never shorter. <laughs> Oh, I classic get paid by Fred. the word, babe. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's the lawyer no, that coming out, a, and yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, the the reference there is, uh, you know, uh, Charles Dickens. Some of the one of the reasons his stories are so long is he literally got paid by the word. So, you know, if, you, if you're complaining about the fact that Bleak House is a thousand pages, that's why. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyhow. So we're, we're back live today with another school-oriented topic, and the basic title of this show is Should Schools Install Classroom Cameras and Microphones? 
And as is usually the case, we did not pluck this out of thin air, <laughs> but it is a rip uh, from the headlines. That was suggested. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. Like those old Pathé news films that used yeah. to show up before the World War II videos. Uh, no, they didn't have video that would have been filmed. Anyhow, the question is uh, raised for us because a Florida representative from the Naples, Florida area, which is on the west coast of Florida, has introduced HB 1055, a link to which is in our show notes today which would require schools to consider and vote on a plan by January 2023 on whether or not to install cameras at the front of every classroom and to give every teacher a microphone that they would have to wear during the course of the school day. And those cameras and microphones would have to be turned on anytime the teacher was teaching at the front of the classroom. Um, so you and I have had a chance to go through this. There are some other provisions if you want to jump in and uh, add some of the other things that this bill is proposing. Yeah, I think that that's, um, that's the, the key piece there is that it would have to be on and recording while the teacher is teaching. And so, you know, we can start by defining what does the teacher teaching mean? Does that mean that if a student comes in for a consultation at lunchtime, which happens all the time, is that considered teaching or should that be turned off? I mean, those are things that still are remain to be seen. Another one is that there is not, um, the video should not be used to evaluate teachers and which is, <laughs> which is funny because that's the best reason for it. If we're going to say anything, being able to, uh, assess a teacher's performance without walking in the room and changing the dynamics is a huge benefit. Um, and really the only reasonable thing that I could think uh, for having this these video cameras installed. Um, and then the other part that's very strange is one, you'd have to keep the videos for three months after which they could be destroyed uh, or should be destroyed, which, you know, again, there's a lot of challenges there. And then my favorite thing about educational mandates is there is no provision for funding it, <laughs> which we we love the term unfunded mandates in education because they are so plentiful and everybody thinks we should just be able to do this without spending any money on it, which just is not a realistic expectation, period. No, it really isn't. A couple of other things that are relevant with respect to this legislation, and I would encourage people to download a copy of the PDF and, and take a look at it. Um, the three-month archiving requirement is really only applicable as long as no one has asked to view the video in question. And you know, as long as there's no legal proceeding or criminal investigation that's undergone, you know, it's underway, that would require that the material be held. And, and theoretically, that means a video could end up being stored for years. years. You know, so that's a real um, both privacy and, and cost implication as we will get further in. Um, I will tell you, as a school board member, Jethro, I, I walked into the school board with this wonderfully naive <laughs> attitude about, let's just get the schools to do this and this. And uh, I quickly learned the acronym UGM, Unfunded Government Mandate. Yeah. And it's brutal. I mean, I spent three or four years on the, uh, the finance subcommittee of the school board. And every time we'd turn around, the superintendent would be saying, well, we have to do X, Y, and Z. 
mm-hmm. you know, and we have money for A, <laughs> you know, and that it just drove us crazy. Like, where are we supposed to get the money for this? You know, so, and, and one of the things we'll talk about is that these systems are just not cheap. No. You know, between the cameras and the microphones and the system required to gather the data and then to store it and archive it. I mean, even in a small school, like some of the schools you were principal in up in Alaska, that is a significant investment yeah. in hardware and, you know, archival storage. Yeah. So one example, let me let me give you a real life example. One thing that Perfect. is very beneficial to schools and classrooms is having a teacher with a microphone and a sound amplification system. That is huge. And it's not just for kids who are hard of hearing. It's so that everybody can hear the teacher at an equal level, basically. So let's let's think about that for just a moment. If If we wanted to do that in a school with 25 classrooms, it would cost at least $2,000 per classroom to put that microphone and speaker system in there. Now, depending on the additional things that you get, then that could cost way more than that. But just sure. have and yeah, right. And you haven't even touched on soundproofing, so that you don't have like yep. cross talk. Soundproofing, um, IR infrared is usually how those microphones work, and so making it so that you can't be walking by talking to someone with your microphone on around your neck, and then broadcast into each of those classrooms that you're walking by. Um, you know, oh, these course. are right, right. these yeah. are real issues that are complicated. Now, just imagine the cost of that uh, combined with a video recording system, including the storage, including um, the software to run it, because that's also an additional subscription on top of that. And the software that we have used for surveillance cameras in our school, uh, there are ways that you can lock it so that it can't be um, deleted automatically. But the thing that happens is once you once you lock that, you pretty much can never delete it. I mean, certainly not as long as you're going to be a, an administrator at that school. You're not going to be able to delete that footage. Even if you resolve the issue, you're still going to have to keep it in case something happens later. And there are um, educational records laws that require you to keep evidence and different things for a very long time. Um, and I think we talked about it before, some things a hundred years after the student graduates. And well, so if, you were talking about, right, graduation records and report cards right. and things like that. Yeah. So yeah. this kind of thing probably wouldn't be at that same level, but if there's a criminal investigation and you're never going to be able to delete that and, and it just makes it too, um, there's just too many ways for it to go wrong, I think is really the issue that, uh, that we should really be focused on here in our discussion. And it's just possible. We have a whole list. But I do, I do I think it is important, you know, it just, you know, for the sake of intellectual fairness, that we will start with the motivations for why something like this might happen. And I will say, even though Governor Ron DeSantis down in Florida is now pushing for a bill to give parents the ability to directly challenge curriculum which is not technically a cyber trap, but I think raises some interesting issues we might touch on at some point. The motivation for this particular bill, according to its sponsor, has nothing to do with curriculum. Mm -hmm. That the whole point of this particular bill 
is that there have been instances, and we've talked about some of them, and I have some of them in my newsletter, uh, newsletter.cybertraps.com, in which teachers have assaulted kids. And the only reason they've really been caught is because other kids have recorded the you know, altercation. So what this legislator is saying is, for the health and safety of our children, we should have the system in place so that we don't have to rely on some other kid to record an incident that occurs in a classroom. So that's number one. Um, this particular legislator doesn't mention it, but in the course of researching this, Jethro, it was clear that there are some teachers who are worried about their safety in the classroom. And they are at least open to the idea that there'd be some recording. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I threw into our resources, not to, um, you know, not to give them any particular preference, but I ran across this company, Kala Body Worn Cameras, which says that it is working with healthcare institutions, with educational institutions and so forth. And their argument is that when you've got people being confronted, for instance, by anti-vaxxers or you've got issues in schools, the, the presence of a body camera, they allege, helps to de-escalate the situation. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that's open to debate. Yeah, and I don't yeah. know, you, you would probably be in a better position to comment in your experience when altercations have occurred in the schools you worked in. Do you think a camera would have made a difference? Yeah, well, this is so this is a very real issue because my first year teaching, I had a student wait in my classroom after school for me to come back from walking the kids out. And this was a mm-hmm. ninth grade student. He was bigger than me. He had more uh, fighting experience than I did. And he was ready to beat the living snot out of me. And it was it was incredibly That's scary. A big line to cross. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I was I was very frightened for my own safety. Uh, you know, the thoughts of what would happen to my family if I did get beat up at school by a student, because I wasn't going to do anything to the student. That's not who I am. Sure. So um, so that was that was really frightening. Now, would a camera in the classroom have helped? I'm not sure, to be honest. I think about that specific situation, what the student was going through, and why he was saying that he wanted to fight me. And and I don't know that a camera would have prevented it because there was also another student in the classroom who was getting work and was completing something. And this the student was doing it with a witness there with no interest in the witness. I mean, he didn't care that the other student was in there. So mm-hmm. there are situations where, yeah, I do think our kids need to to have something to help them be safe and i think teachers need to also um and that those motivations i can totally get behind uh i just don't think this is the right solution for that so the thing that got me out of that situation was utilizing de-escalation strategies to help that student come down and in the future when i dealt with parents or other or teachers even or kids who were upset later it was de-escalation strategies that that made it possible that I could get out of those bad situations. And so I would much rather see the time and energy spent on that kind of stuff, uh, mm. de-escalating the situations, because those are really powerful skills that, um, that, you know, essentially can, you can use them to stop someone from being in a, in a fit of a rage and, and calm them down so that they don't, 
do something to hurt anybody. It's not always mm. possible. It's not a hundred percent, but this is, this is not about preventing those things. I would say perhaps it will prevent, but really it's about, I think punishing someone when they get caught doing it because it's not, it's not going to, I don't think it's going to prevent as much as we think it is. I mean, we've all seen <laughs> surveillance footage of people doing awful, horrible things and, um, and they didn't stop because there was a camera there. And, you know, that's, I don't think that's <laughs> yeah, going to happen that's most of the time. And I would just uh, welcome viewers or listeners to, uh, yeah, do a YouTube search for surveillance yeah. camera footage. And you'll get quite an, in, uh, quite, an uh, quite an instruction on how much people will ignore these. I mean, you're absolutely right about that. I mean, yeah. it's an entire industry of people who, make money distributing clips from surveillance cameras because people don't care sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So Crazy I, stuff. Yeah, I want to address the other thing that you talked about, which is um, parental surveillance of teaching methods and curricula and um, and whether or not parents should be able to do that. And, you know, when we closed down schools and started having kids do Zoom school, um, that, that happened a lot more than <clears throat> anybody was prepared well, exactly. for. And, right. And so parents were paying more attention because it was happening at the kitchen table and you could hear it all. And and that is a real change in how things are delivered, which I think is a is a good thing in that direction that um, a lot of things that people complained about. And, you know, we've got examples of people who have done it on the left and on the right. So it's not like this is, you know, somebody only the anti-vaxxers or only the anti-fa or whatever it is. It's, it's both sides that are doing it, and this is important because I personally believe that educating kids is the responsibility of, the, of their parents and that the state steps in to assist that, but ultimately it's the parent responsibility, and the state just helps with that, which is great, and they should, and that's a, an important role for the state to fill. But the fact that most parents don't know what's going on in the school I think is an issue, and the reason why I think this is an issue is because schools don't partner with parents as they should. They say, this is what we're doing. And our partnership looks like us telling you what we're doing. And that's pretty much it. Parents are not as involved in the PTAs and the other ways for them to be involved as they should be. Every title one in the school in the country, which is a low income school has to have a parent compact, which says how we're going to partner together. And that is totally a hoop to jump through. And very few schools actually use that to keep parents engaged and informed. It's really something that they just they just do because they're required. And I think that there needs to be uh, an increase in parent involvement in schools and real partnership, not just, you know, this is what we're doing, so get on board or, or don't talk to us, which is sadly the attitude. <laughs> Even though nobody would say that, that's the attitude yeah. that parents feel yeah. very often. I, yeah. Okay. So there's a lot there. Um, for sure. <laughs> um, I agree with your starting premise that, that ultimately the instruction and education of children is the responsibility of parents and they have an obligation to determine for themselves how best that education should take place. So that absolutely in agreement with that. I, I come at it from a slightly different perspective, I think, in the sense that I believe strongly that a, a shared educational experience 
is important to creating a functioning society. That, you know, in particular, public schools since the 19th century have been one of the things that has glued us together and has helped the country coalesce in ways that we really continue to need, obviously, in terms of what's been happening. Then I come to your, your latter point, which I also completely agree with, that parents need to be more involved in schools. And I think way too many parents have basically said to themselves, well, the school is going to deal with this educational thing. Let's just let them do it. And we're not mm-hmm. going to go to school board meetings. You know, honestly, Jethro, when I was on the school board, we had a curriculum committee and we were debating these issues every single month. And then voting on them at the school board, I can tell you, despite the fact they were public meetings, I can maybe count on one hand the number of times we had a parent at the curriculum subcommittee, you know, to debate what books are we going to use? What courses are we going to have? So the opportunity is there for parents to do this. And I think the technological piece, as we've used the word so often, has been disruptive, right? Mm -hmm. Now parents have had a chance to see inside the classroom. The problem is, and and we'll get into this a little bit, and again, this is my editorial comment, but I believe that one of the problems we're facing is that it is encouraging parents to object to individual teachers without necessarily looking at the broader curriculum goals of the school. Now, that's not to say that individual teachers don't make mistakes or don't sometimes have agenda that they shouldn't have in the classroom. We, we absolutely agree on that. But I think that the, the, my concern about this and how these cameras could be misused is that it would further empower people who want to go after specific individuals instead of supporting the overall mission of the schools. Yes. And I think that that really is the issue here, that it's very easy for someone to go after a specific teacher when you have a video camera on all the time because yeah. then it's yeah. not about them their overall teaching practice it's not about their overall relationships it's about the one part that you catch on camera that that you care about that you care that about per- <laughs> yeah <Right. laughs> and and that becomes the thing to say we need to get rid of this person or whatever and, or censure them or whatever the, the issue is. Um, it, it really takes everything that you're doing of 108 days in a classroom, six hours a day with these kids and breaks it down into these small isolated incidents that it, uh, it, it just is too much of a slippery slope to get to that point that, you know, you, you make one mistake and one mistake can be really, really bad and should be dealt with if, if the mistake is bad enough. But, you know, you can request, you know, Johnny comes home from school and says, the teacher said this today. And so then you have to review footage of six hours worth of stuff to see where the teacher actually said that. And then, and then what do you do then? You know, how uh, the, the time overhead of, of reviewing and paying attention to these things is just well unbelievable. Uh, we didn't even put that in the notes. That's that's yeah. a whole nother cost factor, which it takes the ex principal to <laughs> think <Yeah>. about. <laughs> Wait, I may have to sit and watch all that video. Now. Oh, and I've done that. And let me tell you, 
It is awful. I have watched yeah. multiple angles of different things, and I've spent hours, hours, literally hours yeah. on yeah. a five-minute incident that didn't it didn't need to be. I didn't need to spend that much time on it. And the worst part is, <laughs> most of our videos don't even capture what we want to capture in the end. Well, right, right. So right, right. we well, we review and, and it and we still miss things. <laughs> we can't course. see it. Well. And video can be taken out of context. Video can be altered these days. But you can't alter video you don't capture, right? So this is always the issue. And, and I come back to this time and again in, in the presentations that I do. It's, a, it's asking yourself, do we actually need this data? Does the data provide us more positive good than potential harm? And if there's a significant risk of it being misused, then the best approach is not to capture it in the first place because, you know, Lane's law of overused data is that <laughs> if it can be misused, it will be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I'm really concerned about some of this. So let's just talk quickly about two areas, kind of the broader legal issues, and then specifically some of the privacy issues that can arise from this. And we're alluding to one here in terms of privacy that you know, somebody could excerpt a piece of this video and surreptitiously spread it. I was interested that there was no mention in this legislation of any penalties for the misuse of the video, mm -hmm. which is intriguing. Because just imagine some IT guy, you know, sees a teacher doing something non-criminal but embarrassing and decides to leak the footage. Or there's an attempt to make some political point and a comment is taken out of context and spread on social media. The fact that you've got video now that's being recorded makes all of that so much easier, mm -hmm. right? Than, than some kind of wild random allegation that's being made on Facebook. It's different if you've attached a video. Yeah. And even though we're smart enough now to realize the photos can be doctored, people haven't caught up to the fact how easy it is to doctor video. Yeah, and the other part of that too is that you when you have these cameras on you know whether they're on all the time 24 7 or just during specified periods that again is a thing that's difficult to control and so mm. you know then that brings up the question of are videos Good on point. are the recorders on at a specific time and so if the bill says you need to have it on during class time then you know if there's a different schedule in the day then you got to adjust all of that and these are just these are nightmares that I'm thinking of having to implement this and saying this is just not going to be good. So well, and I love the I love the provision in the law that says if the camera is not on during said class time, you actually have to have a written report stored somewhere, Jethro, in your building oh that explains why the camera was not on at that moment. Nightmare. Total nightmare. Absolute nightmare. <laughs> yeah, so. I agree. So, so from a legal perspective, you know, I, I was just kind of letting my mind brainstorm on some of the implications of this. And one of the things I think that's interesting is that, you know, a good lawyer would argue that this has now created a new duty of care for the school, and particularly yeah. for someone in your position, in that you would be responsible for making sure it was properly installed that the video was properly archived at all times. And as we said, if the system was not running at a given moment, you would be responsible for explaining why not. 
And then, you know, the other thing that I think is really uh, disturbing is that when you've got a pool of data like this, some of which could potentially be useful in litigation against the school or against individual teachers, there's going to be a real temptation on the part of someone in the school for that video to go walk about, mm-hmm. you know, to just magically disappear. And yes, obstruction of justice is a problem. Spoliation comes into play in terms of how evidence is considered. But I don't think it does us any good to increase the temptation unless there's a really good reason for doing so. Yeah. Not to mention the tampering of the video by teachers and students in the actual classroom. So some Mm. students may not want themselves to be recorded. And there are um, one of the other things in the bill that it mentions is that uh, kids' faces will be obscured, which is... um, some of that can be done by AI, but a lot of that, you know, if you, I had a situation once where, <laughs> where a student fought with another student and I couldn't show the video to the parent because it had other students images in it. And mm-hmm. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't show that to somebody else. Um, and, and it just became this big, nasty fight that didn't need to happen because the parent demanded to see the video of their child fighting to be able to say, basically, my kid didn't start it and it's somebody else's problem. Um, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because there was a big crowd around these kids and the the video was actually a problem, because if I just would have taken the witnesses witness statements, it would have been much easier and there wouldn't mm-hmm. have been much to do. But the kid was literally standing underneath the camera. And so you could see the whole entire thing. But you could see all these other students, so I couldn't ever show it to the parents. And it became a big, nasty issue about that. So kids having their faces blurred out is one thing. And it, there's a provision to protect that. But it's not it's not going to be 100%. And there's that's going to require more additional work also. And then yeah. I, I know of a story in a district um, that I consulted with. And they they had a student who was having these outbursts and would would break things and would put people in harm. And one of the solutions was to um, was to put a camera in the classroom for the safety of the, the adults in that classroom and the other students so that nothing would happen. And that camera was always being broken. And, you know, was it the teacher? Right. Was it the student? Nobody knows. But the fact of the matter is, is that that was never a reliable system because nobody wanted that there and everybody was okay with making sure the camera was not in there. Wow, that's crazy. Well, you know, just watch a half dozen Hollywood movies and you get tips on how to pool your yeah. video surveillance. Systems. No kidding. Well, look, yeah, I mean, that's, that's somewhat facetious, obviously, but I think that there are legitimate concerns um, from a technological point of view and, and you know, we both geek out on this stuff. So I feel like this is pretty good territory, but I think that people really are underestimating how powerful these cameras can be in terms of recording information. So if you've got a camera at the front of a, you know, say typical, what, 30, 35 foot classroom, something Mm -hmm. like that, you know, with maybe four or five rows of students you're going to be able to read pretty much every piece of paper on a desk from the front of the classroom with any halfway decent camera. Mm-hmm. So already you're maximizing the, or you're increasing 
the amount of FERPA relevant information that you're storing in these videos. And theoretically, it wouldn't just be blurring faces, but if that information, if that video has to be released for some person, you've got to go in and you've got to, if you will, FERPAize yeah. the contents of that entire video. So there's that. Um, are kids passing notes to each other that you're now able to read, which could contain personal romantic information or other kinds of information that they don't want to share? You could, with complete ease, be able to record kids typing in their passwords to mm -hmm. open up their devices. Now, you know, some of them obviously will use facial recognition, but those that are still putting in a passcode, you will be able to record it, which as an administrator, have you now reasonable suspicion to go into that phone? You're thinking to yourself, well, the kid won't tell me what the password is. Yeah. What if I just watch the video? Yeah. And, and that is a, that is a real uh, issue and a real temptation that could happen. And mm -hmm. it's unfortunate because it doesn't, again, going back to what, you know, you've said multiple times is we should just be reluctant to collect it in the first place because it's yeah. so difficult once yeah. it's been collected for it to not be misused. And neither one of us yeah. are evil conniving people. We're just normal dudes <laughs> who, <laughs> who have... study the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's not that hard to come up with this. So it sounds very dystopian to have this, um, to have this in there because there's, there's so much power with a, with a 1080p or 4k video. I mean, the image that I got as you were talking was of a teacher being the only one not blurred out. The desks, the students' faces would be mm. blurred out. And so in a classroom, you'd basically have this walking non-blurred image going through the whole entire classroom. And that's yeah. pretty much all you'd be able to see, which at, at that point, it's like, then it really is well, just surveillance on that teacher. And what what's the point of that? Right. Right. And, and well, a couple of points that come out of that. I mean, for starters, because one of the motivations of the system is to protect children, a little bit like the situation you were talking about earlier, if the teacher gets into an altercation with a student, presumably that student does not then have to be blurred out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but again, doing that selectively, like if you've got a classroom of moving kids, right, keeping the blurring on the appropriate faces becomes a bit of a challenge. I mean, it's, it just ramps up the cost of the system. Yes, you could probably buy a system that would use AI and you would click on the faces. So imagine you're the principal, you, you're looking at the video and you tell the system, I want to blur this, this, and this, and it uses facial recognition to keep those faces blurred. And then you've got the others. So that might be one way to work it. But we're talking just faces here. That doesn't mean that people won't recognize the clothing that kids are exactly. wearing. Yeah. Some of them wear very distinctive clothing. It does raise the potential for voyeuristic misuse of this. And, and sadly, again, YouTube is filled with all kinds of surveillance video of that nature. Mm -hmm. So that becomes an additional temptation for us to be aware of. Not a problem if you're not collecting this video, but if you are, then you know you have to deal with these potential issues. So dystopian is not the wrong word. Yeah, I mean it. The other part of it is that it makes everybody more comfortable with a surveillance state 
and being yes. constantly under surveillance. Um, it it what I think is really detrimental is it teaches kids that they are being constantly surveilled as well, and and, and they should expect it. Yeah, right. And you know, right now, maybe maybe someone could argue that's what we need to t- to keep kids safe. And the problem is, is that as they get older, they become more and more accustomed to it. And, you know, the surveillance in the United Kingdom is a uh, is a big issue also because there it's like there's multiple cameras on every block and people are constantly under surveillance there. And I've I've read articles about how you've just become you just have accepted it because there's nothing else that you can do about it. And and so it just becomes a part of life, which. I don't think we really want that for our lives, do we? Maybe some people do. I don't know. Well, I think it's I, I would find that sad if that was the conclusion yeah. that we reached. But look, it's highly ironic that in the nation of George Orwell, UK citizens are on camera more times each day than any other Western nation by magnitudes. Um, although we're starting to catch up, living in New York, as I do, mm-hmm. just walking around the city when I go for a run, when I go into stores, the estimate is that I'm on camera three to 400 times a day. Wow. And and we see more and more of it, don't we, on Twitter, you know, surveillance cameras, we've got ring, think about the ring systems that are yep. being constantly enhanced and all of that. So yeah, you know, it is almost Jethro. Like there's this sort of um, creeping desire to be surveilled, right? And I, I don't know if people are really fully thinking through what the implications of that are. I would encourage them to watch a movie with Gene Hackman and uh, Will Smith called Enemy of the State, mm-hmm. which is absolutely brilliant on this topic. And it was like 25 years ago. And they were really foresighted. Gene Hackman plays this ex-CIA guy who lives in what's called a Faraday cage, Mm -hmm. which is used to block all radiation. (laughs) So he's super paranoid. It's just a wonderful movie. But honestly, let's think through this. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's not it's not what I want my world to be like. And it's not where where I want my kids to grow up and their them to raise their own kids. Um, I I think some of the other couple things before we wrap up here um are how this would be used later because once you open the door the cameras are there we might as well start using it for something else and mm-hmm. surely that will happen even well-intentioned people will say you know whenever i walk into the classroom the the kids to do an evaluation the kids all get you know act differently because the principal's there so how about i just start using the video to evaluate the teachers well, you know, how about I just start look, using this video that's supposed to protect safety and start seeing where kids are passing notes or doing some low-level stuff that um, we don't want them to do, and let's start adding in their attentiveness grade because you can mark where their faces are pointing using AI and see whether or not yeah, they're exactly. actually paying attention. Piece of cake. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and as this podcast progresses, Jethro, and not this particular episode, but our overall mission, I think one of the things you and I will end up talking a lot more about is AI and Mm -hmm. how it plays into these various cyber traps, because 
that is a freight train that is coming right down the rails towards us. And we do not even begin to understand what the implications of that are. Because all of this data that we're talking about has social and legal and privacy implications that will be affected by the AI we put in place. And I think your point about attentiveness is spot on. Yeah. And not to mention cheating and trying to prevent that. And surely that will happen. You know, it, it's oh, right. Sure. It, it already happened with the pandemic that many institutions adopted this thing where you had to show the camera to the whole entire room that you were in, in order to take a test. And, you know, that I, I get that people have, you know, gone to school to be able to do that and to, to do whatever that test is testing them to do. And, you know, the bar exam or whatever it is. And that is just so wrong to have to show your entire room that it it's had I been in that situation, I would have refused on principle to take that test. And mm. I, there, there has to be a way to stop that. And, and schools who adopt that are doing the wrong thing, period, end of story. If you're writing a test that can be cheated on, that's on you as the test preparer. That is not on the students. Um, mm-hmm. It's your responsibility to make a, a test that you can't cheat on. It's been really interesting along those lines, and it, it, it's a little bit of a diversion from where we are today. But I've watched Amy go through that process. You know, you know, Amy is mm-hmm. a, a professor of art history at FIT, and and her test and evaluation methods have really changed over the years with that specific goal in mind, that given how easy it is to look up information, there's almost no point in testing that skill. Yeah. But whether or not they, the kids have the enough comprehension to write something about what they've been studying, that's not something you can easily cheat on. And that makes a huge difference in terms of the uh, skill of the evaluation and the scope of the of the testing. Yeah. So I'll share a quick story to close this out because I think it's it's pretty entertaining actually. So yeah. there is a a theory in academic writing called deconstructionism, which is basically yes. that Very, what, uh, it, yeah. whatever was intended, you're saying the opposite actually happened. And so I I use that to write a paper in college and the paper the 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 way that i used that was completely ridiculous but i used the strategy (laughs) correctly and there was no way for the for the professor to say you're wrong here because i had text evidence supporting what i was saying that if i interpreted it this way you you could say that that's exactly what was going on and i remember thinking that this the, the assignment was not to do deconstruction, but I used that to write the assignment, which was an essay evaluating a, a book. And it was, it was so cool. fascinating because it was, it was absolutely the wrong application for it. But because I did it in a good enough way, the, the professor couldn't argue against it and basically had to say, you're an idiot but here's your A grade <laughs> because it was it was so ridiculous what I was trying to do. And it, it made no sense at all. But I wanted to try to do that. And so I got a yeah. good grade on the paper because I did the things that were needed. It was impossible for me to cheat on that paper. There was no way I could have done right. that. Right. And, yeah. and that's it was great. And I knew it was dumb. The professor knew it was dumb. 
we both had a good laugh about it. And he said, you're, you're way out in left field here, but you did everything you needed to. And, and I know you didn't cheat on this because nobody else would write a paper <laughs> like this. Anyway, I just, when, when you can create assessments where kids can't cheat, I think it's much, much better. Well, I think we're learning a lot coming out of this pandemic, aren't we, in terms of evaluation, in terms of supervision, which supervision, let's be clear, is an essential part of education. Yes. Surveillance is not. Yes. And I think we need to learn to distinguish between the two. Yes, absolutely. I think that's a good way to end it. Closing note. All right. Well, Jethro, that wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts who are helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you will share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions, topic suggestions, or guest suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have loved this episode. Please leave us a five-star rating and review. We appreciate having you here today, and we look forward to having you join us on Thursday for our interview with Dr. Glenn Lipson. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.